Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. William Leonard here, your host for today. I'm excited to be sitting down with Peg Olson, who is the founder of JPEG Executive Search. Peg, thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's awesome to be here. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. Likewise. And I think, you know, today's conversation is going to be tailored really around early stage startup recruiting, and you are an expert at this. And so we're going to do a deep dive today. Um, And our audience is going to have a lot of takeaways and insights. So I'm excited, but let's, let's take it back a step and start with your background. Who is Peg? Give us the Peg Olson story. The Peg Olson story. Well, I've done this for three decades, so that could be longer than you want this podcast to be. But uh, I grew up in Maine, in a small town in rural Maine, went to college in Colorado, moved to California, never thought I want to be a recruiter when I grow up. But about three decades ago, I started as a recruiter, and I've always been a generalist recruiter, but I usually, I've worked both in-house and for search firms. But started my own organization in 2009 because when I look back in my career, the things that I loved the most were helping founders um, and earlier stage companies that were growing scale their teams. Um, I would get bored just recruiting for accounting or finance or sales. And I love helping build a culture for a company. And, you know, I just honestly, I guess wanting to be more, not just independent, but I wanted to be able to choose the people that I wanted to work with, the companies that I was excited about. And I wasn't afforded that in other roles. So that's why I'm here today. I took the big leap and uh, in 2009 in a horrible economy. Yeah, I was going to So ask- far, so good. Yeah, I was going to ask about you starting in 2009 when there was probably more firing than hiring going on. What was that experience like for you? Well, I guess. It was a leap of faith because everyone was telling me I was absolutely crazy for doing that then. But I'd been through economies that were pretty cyclical like that before. I graduated from college in, in a poor economy, moved to California, and then we had the dot-com to age myself, boom and bust, um, and had the opportunity to unfortunately see those situations previously. So maybe it was just my kind of my gut instinct on I've survived it two other times, I can survive it a third time. And, yeah. and it, it worked. And I'm thankful I did it. Yeah. Uh, if it weren't, if it weren't for my previous experience with some of the other situations that I was trying to walk away from, I wouldn't have had, I think, the contacts across the country and the courage, you know, to, to actually do that. Right. And let's talk a little bit more about JPEG and the, the types of clients that you all look to serve today. And then we'll definitely go deeper into your experiences and insights on early stage recruiting? When I started my own firm, because I'm a generalist recruiter, I really needed to kind of focus in on a niche and create a niche for myself. So I had fallen in love with companies that have a mission. Um, I had been exposed to healthcare. um, And a majority of my career had always been focused on B2B or B2B2C, a lot of fintech, a lot of technology companies that was so big in California when I lived there. I love companies, I guess at my age, you know, where they're, they have a mission to help people. Um, so since I started my business, I focus exclusively on health tech, B2B, B2B2C companies um, that are at various stages. So C stage through. 
um, through the post IPO uh, sometimes. But seed stage, you just don't do as much of in the space because they're worried about burn and and all of that. I have one right now I'm working on. But yeah, so that's kind of my, is that good? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. okay. And now I want to take this conversation a bit further now. And you've been doing this, like you said, early stage to IPO type of companies. And I would say the majority of our founders here are early stage, let's say C, Series A, Series B, some probably a bit later as well. Let's let's talk a little bit more about stage appropriate startup recruiting and what those types of roles look like at each stage there, because it sounds like you okay. see entire spectrum here. And, you know, many people are fundraising right now. Some are getting capitalized, some are. And oftentimes in investor conversations, VCs like myself and our team at Valor, we want to know what what's on your roadmap. What are you going to do with the capital? And oftentimes the greatest uh, expense there is going to be building out and expanding the team. So we'd love to get your insights on how you see that taking shape at the early stage. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point, I think it there's a huge investment in hiring, but a huge loss if you don't do it well. And replacing people is so expensive, not only for the time, but it it can be disastrous and make or break, especially at the seed stage. I'm assuming a lot of your seed stage founders are first-time founders? Yeah, first-time, some, some founders as well. Okay. I, I just noticed a huge difference in, in Series A in working with founders that have been there, done that, and, and the newer founders. So let's focus maybe on the newer founders since there's, I think, different nuances there. I think my approach is it's very, very consultative. And with, with Seed A, you oftentimes have to coach the founders a lot on some of the process that you need to build out in order to be successful on the back end. Um, and what I mean by that is, for example, you know, uh, how do you do a job description? How do you, you know, what should be your next fire? You know, the, the, you know, they need to be coached, which I'm sure you do a lot of that from your side on what should be, you know, what is that roadmap? What does it look? So, for example, with you know, I seed stage, I do a lot of first sales leaders because that's typically the first person that they're looking to hire. Um, and oftentimes it could be engineering and product as well. Um, but it, it just depends on how far along that seed stage company is. Um, so it's not only about building the job description, but figuring out who is on your interview panel, because that becomes really important when you're thinking about drilling down on the skills and the fit for the company. Um, so that's super important is to communicate that across the organization. I see a lot of companies not do well because the left hand isn't talking to the right hand. So I think being super transparent with what's happening, what your org charts looks like today, what it's going to look like down the road. These are the positions we intend on filling. Um, and then the job description is a really good tool because I think it makes the founder or the leader doing the hiring focus through, you know, what's our why? Why are we here? What's our mission? And how do we, how do we sell that properly to people? What is our roadmap? You know, what's our platform? Why would a salesperson want to go out and sell that in the market? Or why would an engineer want to work on any of your projects, right? So depending on the role, you would kind of gear your conversation um, accordingly. And then the what of what are you going to do to add value? 
you know, and the benefits that the company can offer. So you need to think through all of that because it's an important part of trying to attract talent today. I could walk you through like examples of what a series A like sales leader might, what you might look for as opposed to an A, B and a C, if that would be helpful. Yeah, I was going to do that next. I think that would be incredibly helpful because, you know, that is oftentimes, like you said, the first hire that people are going to make at the the seed series A stage when they're trying to, you know, they've got product market fit. The CEO has been selling for the first maybe half a million, million dollars of ARR. And now it's time to institutionalize your sales process a bit and bring on that formal hire. So what, what, what do you see in that process? In that process, post job description, um, you go, you try to figure out where in the market are these people sitting? You know, I do most of my searches are all direct sourcing and very targeted to the the market that they're in. And it's not always the exact same product, but a product that's similar in B2B, B2B to C, B2C, you know, whatever the case may be, um, where you would have great transferable skill sets because they need to come in and hit the ground running quickly. Oftentimes with budget constraints. You know, you're not going to go into the market unless you happen to get extremely lucky to find someone who's had, you know, coming off a huge exit and they're, they can work for the comp that you're probably willing to pay at that stage. Um, so most of those searches, I target someone who's been promoted. You want to see that they've done well, met quota, three to seven years experience, maybe. Um, and hopefully they have managed a couple of people. You know, if they're super sharp, it could be one or two. Maybe they built, you know, a little region within a company that has scaled and and they know what good process looks like. Um, I think that's really important. And oftentimes to attract that talent, you know, maybe they're a director or senior director. They're typically made of VP level uh, person. Um, so as opposed to if you go to a series B and C, typically that's where you find someone who's built out the process of lead gen, you know, they get, they, they really get knee deep in helping build out all of the technical aspects of what it takes to sell. And in both stages, I think the founders really, they need the lift. Founders are typically the first salesperson, right? So if, for example, the CDA I'm working with right now, he's closed three or four deals, but he is so overwhelmed that he needs a, someone tactical to come in and help either execute on those deals and he's probably always going to be at the table still, you know, when those deals are being signed, but you know, they need somebody who can give them that, that lift and can hit the ground running quickly and exponentially accelerate the amount of deal plur, you know, potential that's coming through. Uh, hopefully that is clear. Um, series B, um, you would basically expect that person to have a little bit more experience. Again, hopefully, if you could find someone that's been there, done that with a successful exit, um, would be good. But they should be able to close more business, I think, at that point than the CEO. So they come in, they build out, you know, the lead gen and the marketing. They might, you know, and but they have to be scrappy because they're probably going to be the only person doing that out of the gate, right? Then it will transition to a point once some of that process is established that they would bring on another salesperson. And it could be maybe, you know, it could be someone more junior, um, but the CEO doesn't need the sales team as their direct report. You know, uh, they will just get too bogged um, down. So that person is someone who 
you know, when you drill down, how have they scaled? How did they build the lead gen? How did they hold the team accountable to bringing in qualified leads? You know, that 15 to 75 calls a day I used to make back in the day. Um, you know, how do you hold them accountable uh, to that? And once you get beyond series B, um, series C and greater, the sales leaders that I look for are kind of really more chief revenue officer. They really understand the go-to-market strategy. Um, they'll usually have marketing and customer success and some of the other functional areas, you know, under underneath them and become a true strategic partner to, you know, the CEO and to the the executive leadership. Right. So and they're all very different. Yeah. And you've seen the spectrum of startup life cycles boom and bust here over the last decade or so, um, starting in 2009. And then really the last couple of years, how things have, how the bull market has come to an end, mm-hmm. and how we've entered the bear market. And how would you say recruiting at the early stage has evolved since 2009? Okay. Um, I think founders need to adapt to how things have changed, you know, not only due to recent market, but post pandemic. And what I mean by that is I think we all during the pandemic had a window into people's lives, right? You would see, oh my God, William didn't shave today and Peg's in her stretchy pants again. And, you know, you'd see kids running around, dogs barking. And Leaders today, I think, need to be as much EQ forward as IQ forward. Um, and that's super, super important. Um, and companies that don't screen for that, I see fail. So it's not just about the technical skill sets. The other misnomer that some of the leaders have had as well, the market, you know, there's been so many layoffs. We're going to be able to go out there and find someone cheap <laughs> or, you know, someone who's you know, desperate to get in and whatever. So that I have not found to be the case. It's it's interesting. Um, even though there have been a lot of layoffs and things happening with uh, tech companies across the country, candidates are getting jobs really quickly. I offered up during the, you know, the kind of the beginning of this whole uh, world that was happening. I offered up five hours a week to kind of help people that had been displaced. And it was very interesting because I would I would have my first meeting with them and set up a call two or three weeks later, and they almost always had established a position already, which is great, you know. Um, but leaders, you really need to be able to sell, especially if you're seed or Series A, you need to be able to sell your value prop, the growth opportunity that's there, the you know, the platform and and what your roadmap is for that, what your burn rate is. That's a big question I get today um, is what does the runway look like that I'm getting myself into? And also they're going to really look at the founder. If you're seeing and going to series A, is this founder backable? Is it someone that you're going to be able to go into this competitive market where it's harder to get funding and command that? Um, so so that's what I'm seeing with a lot of the candidates I'm talking to now. I think people are still very open to doing early stage, but they are really savvy and they're doing their due diligence. So you need to, you know, the, the founders and leaders need to be prepared on how to execute on that and also do it nimbly with good process, good candidate experience. Right. Oh, that's excellent insight. And I want to go deeper on your point there because you talk about how leaders should be able to 
sell the value prop, the vision, the mission of the company to these ever increasingly savvy candidates now. And so, you know, as, as I guess from the candidate perspective and from the founder perspective, looking to bring on talent, we can start with the, the founder perspective. You know, what are some of the types of questions that they should be asking to understand how these candidates think? Um, and then I'll turn it over to the candidate side. What should they be asking? You, you hit uh, on a few of them runway, burn rate. Um, what is the vision of the company like? Can this founder actually go out and raise funding for the next successive round? Those types of things. Walk us through what those questions look like from both the founder side and the candidate side as well. Okay. Well, from the founder side, I think past performance is indicative of future performance. So that is huge. Um, is really drilling down and, and it comes back to the process, right? So if you're looking for a sales leader, what are the key things this, cause it's a little bit different with every company, right? And what you need to drill down on. Um, but you need to figure out who's going to be on the interview panel. Everybody needs to be on the same page and you want to drill down on like have the person assigned to the interview each one evaluate, I don't think I'm articulating this clearly, but each each person evaluate a certain specific skill set that you need. And you take that internal expert, right? Um, or an advisor, someone who really knows that for sales, you want someone who's been there, done that with sales, accounting, you're, you know, you don't want the sales leader to be the final decision maker on your account, right? So you need to really drill down that way and get a ton of examples from the candidate. You know, you can't, and you've got to sometimes ask it three times before you get to the real meat of the the answer. Um, but really getting specific examples because that past performance is going to be super indicative. Um, and as far as evaluating, there's tons of tools you can use to evaluate. You know, I offer those to the, you know, assessments on EQ and, you know, all these different personality profiles. But I think really earlier stage founders get, they, if they're not as confident about bringing on people, they'll use that as a crutch. And it's really just a guideline. It's not an indicator of who you should hire. Um, but I think there are certain qualities that you need to have today. It, it, grit, right? Has someone been scrappy? Are they used to working with minimal resources? Are they comfortable with that? Are they, are they comfortable with ambiguity? Because what was yesterday is not tomorrow. And you have to be comfortable with that. Um, you know, the culture fit, I mean, that's huge and that's a whole separate podcast, but, you know, do they fit with the team and does the team complement each other and do they bring different and unique skill sets to the table so that you can be successful? Um, you know, creating a culture where it's safe to fail and safe to agree to disagree so that you can create a better outcome is really important. Um, and the EQ, I think is again, super important just as a leader, especially, not especially, as across the board. It's important to have a mix of both now. Oh, that's great. That's great insight. As we as I, we wrap up this conversation here, you've been doing this for, like you said, three decades now. Yeah. You've seen some, some great companies form from initial relationships that you were able to connect and be that, that glue. And so- from your perspective, I would love to hear like maybe one or two of your best recruiting stories or outcomes that you can talk about today. And 
some some lessons learned in those stories as well. Yeah. Um, I have, I have a few. And after three decades, you think about, I started with, you know, no computer phone, you know, I had a landline and a phone book, Uh, you know, then we had the internet and the cloud and, you know, now we've got AI, which is creating a whole different world for recruiting and a whole separate podcast. Um, But one of the first ones, and it might be too, just that it was so much fun and probably made me fall in love with this crazy world of growth stage. It was actually a startup done by E-Trade out on the West Coast. And they acquired a company that had two or three people, and they were building out their entire mortgage lending business. And it went from the heyday real estate in like 2000, 2001 was huge. And I was their first and only recruiting hire. And we scaled it to about 2000 people within two years. Um, So that was a rocket ship ride that I really learned how, I mean, being thrown into, I built out their entire leadership team right on down, except the loan processor level. Um, and the company had great outcomes. So I felt it felt satisfying walking around the halls of the company at the time we weren't remote and, you know, just you had helped, you know, build that. Um, so that I was proud of. And then fast forward, the most recent one was actually in healthcare technology. And ironically, I got referred to them because of that gig I did at E-Trade many years ago. Um, they brought me in initially as a consultant, but the company is Lavongo. Um, if you're in healthcare, you probably know um, they were acquired by Teladoc. But I came in when they had about 50 or 60 people and helped them scale through to the IPO and then the acquisition of Teladoc, which was the largest, largest $18 billion acquisition. Um, but had the opportunity to not only work with an amazing group of people, but help build out all of their teams and execute on that. And there's nothing like helping a leader, you know, create a culture within their own department that ties in with the overall mission and values of the company. So I would say those are two of my, two of my favorite. And, and it comes down to people, you know, when you just love the people and you love the mission, you will, you know, what started as a 12 hour consulting gig worked into a 70 hour consulting gig on top of running my own practice for a couple of years, but it was a blast. Yeah. Sounds like it. No, those are great stories. And definitely Lavongo is one of the notable names in the world of healthcare. So yeah, this was, this was an amazing conversation. How can some of our audience, maybe who are early stage founders, get in touch with you or someone on the JPEG team? Sure. Um, you can email me at peg at pegolson.com. Um, that's probably the best way to get time on the calendar. If I don't have time, I could have you talk to one of my directors if you need to to learn more. Um, and one other point I'd like to add that sometimes leaders don't think about, but really having your own great bio out there on LinkedIn, because anyone that when you're trying to attract talent, the first place they're going to go is who is this person I'd be working with? And what is their company like? So even if you're super early stage, having a basic company page set up, making sure all of your employees are have the, you know, a standard company name that will pull everyone in to show the amount of, you know, the number of actual employees you have. And and making sure that your leaders are super buttoned up and kind of giving a feel through their bio of what they would be like to work with and engage with. Yeah. So it sounds like a little bit of an online presence that is pretty uniform, but also 
enables employees at the company to showcase their individuality is absolutely and that's where the eq comes in right so just a little bit so they go oh this person seems like they'd be interesting you know to, to meet with because it is competitive out there and i think even at very early stage it doesn't cost money to do that but it will give you huge traction on the back end if people are all aligned yeah. on your team that is an insight and in piece of knowledge there and i'm sure you know, you're not going to charge us for that one, but I, I, no, I help people a lot with that, actually. So. I love it. Well, Peg, this was an amazing conversation. And I think the insights that you shared around what to look for from hires, specifically sales leaders at Seed, Series A, Series B, and beyond is important as a lot of the founders that listen to our podcast think about scaling their teams and businesses with talent. So, Peg, really? Well, if there were a magic uh, formula, there would be no need for me, right? <laughs> it was awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of the community of Courage by listening to the visionary founders and investors on the Atlanta Startup Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of the over 200 investors and founders sharing their insider tips and secrets to growth. Our regular listeners tell us we're the briefing room for the innovation economy in the fastest growing region of the country, the South, and when you subscribe, you become part of the Inside Circle. The Atlanta Startup Podcast is proudly hosted by Valor VC. Valor is a venture capital firm that leads seed rounds in AI and B2B SaaS startups. If you like the podcast, check out more of Valor's programs for courageous founders and investors, like Startup Runway. Over $100 million in early-stage venture capital is catalyzed through Startup Runway's grant-making program for pre-seed startups. Go to StartupRunway.org to learn more and apply directly for non-dilutive capital. Valor celebrates VC Day, the largest early-stage private capital conference in the region, at the end of the year. Top founders, leading VCs, endowments and family offices attend. Learn more at VC.Day. At Valor. Courage is the currency of innovation and the heartbeat of our culture. Thanks for listening and join us again next week.